hi and welcome to this, the first of the new Streetwise podcast. My name is Andy and I'm going to be reading out several of articles and emails written by John Harrison. And the whole purpose of this is that they are full of great, interesting, useful business tips, ideas and uh, information. So let's start then, shall we? On uh, Let's get on with this first article which is let me share some numbers with you so just remember i shall be speaking as i read the article so i should be speaking as john okay so i've spoken quite a bit about writing in the past specifically about writing sales letters and emails and there is a reason for that they make a lot of money they're incredibly simple to write they take very little time to write So as an example, I have just this week finished writing a new sales letter for a new sporting product which will be released shortly. That one sales letter consists of only 2,623 words. That is not a lot of words. I have written and sent emails which were over a 1,000 words. That sales letter probably took me a couple of hours to write and I expect that sales letter to generate more money than what most people earn in a full year. Obviously, there is a product for sale and so the product needed to be made, but I haven't made it. The only work I have done is write the sales letter and the accompanying emails. My part in making money from that product took me less than a day in total. The three previous sales letters which I've recently written look like this. So the sales letter A was 2,622 words. Sales letter B 1,772 words. Sales letter C, 3,578 words. Andy, our techie guy, that's me, tells me that he once wrote over 2,000 words talking into his phone while walking to his previous job. Those words were content dump, as he likes to call it. They were waiting for him as a text document when he got home. He just had to turn on his laptop and start editing. It is still early days with those sales letters, but I can tell you that as I write this email, sales letter A generated £84,000 in the first 30 days. Yes, you heard that right. A 2,622-word sales letter generated £84,000 in the first 30 days. That includes doing a paper mailing, but I can confidently tell you now that all four of my recent sales letters could quite easily generate 100000 or more using just email alone. As I have mentioned many times in the past, running your own email business is ridiculously cheap compared to virtually all other businesses. Learn how to write simple short sales letters and emails yourself, then you have a money-making skill which you can take anywhere in the world. An email business combined with the ability to write these kinds of sales letters means that you can earn money wherever you are and when times really are hard. With the current state of affairs here in the UK, with driver shortages, labour shortages, exports to Europe being slashed, businesses closing and the whole industry on the brink of collapse, having a set of skills which you can take anywhere and can generate money from a world without borders is a must. I know that I could up sticks and move to the other side of the world and still make money just as I do now. I simply plug into my business and carry on as before. My location may change but the way I make money doesn't have to. Being able to write great sales letters and emails and building your own personal email list are a must as far as I'm concerned. They are that important. This should be taught in schools. Seriously, if your children or grandchildren do not know about this, tell them. They need to know this business is all about freedom. Do it right and you and your children and your grandchildren could have the freedom to leisurely travel the world without worrying about how to pay for the next meal. 
to learn more about writing simple sales letters, go to uh, One Letter From Retirement. You shall find the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, Also, this article, the one that I'm reading out now, has taken around 30 minutes to write and has less than 700 words and is just under half the size of a sales letter B in the list, which had 1,772 words. So it really isn't as hard as you imagine. 28-year-old man dies trying to avoid Subway fare. He should have done this instead. So on the second day into the new year, a 28-year-old man accidentally killed himself when he attempted to jump the turnstile in the New York Forest Hills 71st Street Avenue subway station to avoid paying just $2.75. After failing to clear the turnstile several times, his last attempt resulted in him flipping over and landing on his head. It is believed that he broke his neck and died instantly. So that's a life lost to simply avoid paying $2.75, which at the time of writing is just £2.04. Now, I know that I don't know the whole story here. He may have been completely desperate with no money whatsoever. He might have been homeless. He could have been drunk or on drugs and not thinking clearly. I cannot say that he should have done this or that he should have done that. However, it really is not that hard to make a few pounds each day, not today anyway. So in previous emails, I've shared with you the story about the homeless man who once lived in a tent in a park, yet managed to use computers at a local library to make money and now runs several six to seven figure a year businesses. I've also shown you how anyone can make a passive income using a simple, fully automated passive income system. Andy, our techie guy, built a fully automated passive income system of his own as an example for the 30 day to 30k challenge training. He built it within 30 days during the summer of 2021. So why am I telling you this? One day over Christmas period while Andy was chuffing on chocolates and watching Jason Statham shoot several bank robbers in his latest film The Wrath of Man, he received notifications informing him that he had sold a couple more ebooks via that automated passive income system. He did not do anything other than go back to watch the film and get fat. Yet while he sucked the gooey caramel centre out of several mini galaxies, he had generated enough money to pay for at least two subway train fares. That money was generated from work he'd completed six to seven months previously. And yet while he was relaxing and away from the office, he made sales. As I say, I don't know the full story about the man who lost his life while trying to avoid paying a couple of pounds. I cannot say what he himself should have done, but I can say this. He would be alive today if he had paid and if money was tight for him and anyone else, we are living in the greatest period of human history to make money. In a previous email, I talked about the film In Pursuit of Happiness starring Will Smith, which follows the true-ish rags to riches story of Chris Gardner, who is now worth over 50 million Uh, over 50 million pounds in the early 1980s chris spent quite a bit of time in and out of homeless shelters sleeping on friends couches and at one point even slept on the floor of a subway station toilet this was happening while trying to make money selling bone scanners to hospitals and doctors while also studying to be a broker it was hard for him but if chris had been homeless today it would be a completely different scenario for him Not only could he be able to use a smartphone to send emails and messages to arrange consultations with doctors regarding his bone scanners, he could build websites and publish sales letters online through which he could make sales. He could have contacted and attracted numerous potential clients via free-to-use social media platforms. He could use his smartphone to make money writing articles and sales letters for other people. He could use his phone to create products which could be sold online 
via fully automated passive income systems, putting money into his bank account in the same way Andy made money while relaxing on the sofa, watching films and eating chocolates. The sad thing about the young man who try, who died trying to avoid paying the £2 for subway fare is that he died unnecessarily. It could have been prevented. It's a harsh reminder that life is, for the most part, a series of results based on our decisions and actions. If he had decided to pay the £2 and four, he wouldn't have needed to try and jump the turnstile and he would not have smacked his head on the ground causing his neck to break and his life to end alone on the cold hard floor of the subway station. Unfortunately, a lot of people cause themselves a lot of unwanted problems and misery when they try to save a few pennies and avoid paying for things. Not only is it far easier to make a few extra pounds these days, it relieves a lot of stress and worry when you have money coming in passively on autopilot. If there is one thing I recommend that you do this year, it is to build yourself a passive income system, even if it just helps to pay public transport fares or buys food and drinks on days out. It's better in your pocket than somebody else's. If you would like to learn how to make your own fully automated passive income system, go to www.the30daytothirtykchallenge.com. If not for you, a fully automated passive income system would be a great gift for a child or grandchild. So imagine telling them that they now have a system earning them extra money each month and all they need to do is show the system to people every now and again. So don't forget that is www.the30daytothirtykchallenge.com. Perfectionism, proofreading and profits. Okay, so when I was a small boy at school, my English teacher said, John, how's your grammar? I replied with, she's fine, miss. She nearly choked on a strawberry bonbon the other day, but apart from that, she's doing well. Thanks for asking. The old ones are the best. You might be wondering why I started the email with a bad joke about grammar. It's because an email I received this week. I'm always grateful when our customers reply to the emails I send out, especially when they praise the subject matter. I'm also grateful when they email in pointing out any errors which they see in the emails, especially when they are glaringly obvious and I have somehow missed them. Earlier this week, a much-valued customer did just that. Not only am I grateful for the heads-up, meaning that I can make a much-needed correction, I'm also grateful because it inspired me to write this email. It's hard to believe, I know, but I do make a few spelling and grammatical errors when writing my emails. But do you know what? I'm happy with that, and here's why. To err is human, so please forgive me. In fact, to forgive is divine. Believe it or not, making mistakes is good for business. Firstly, it shows that you are human, which is always good in business. And secondly, this is the best part, it creates engagement. Whenever you make a mistake, people notice it and cannot wait to correct you. Before working with us, Andy used to work for another company which did similar things as us and part of his work was to manage Facebook pages. He told us that one of the tricks they would use was to intentionally spell words incorrectly or use bad grammar simply to get people commenting on the posts. This engagement was great for Facebook's edge rank algorithm. Basically what that means is that Facebook would notice that these posts were getting a lot of interaction, people informing them that they spelled the word wrong and that they were completely useless and would deem them popular and they would then show those posts to more people. Whether we like it or not, spelling errors on social media generate engagement and traffic. The online versions of newspapers such as the Metro do this too. The reason is that it grabs people's attention. In marketing, this is called a pattern interrupt. It stops people in their tracks and for some of them, seeing spelling errors on social media is enough to ruin their peace of mind and can even ruin their day. Spelling errors to some people is like what kryptonite is to Superman. It destroys them.
Another reason why I don't worry too much about spieling or grammatical errors, I bet that is driving some of you nuts right now, is that perfection is harmful to profits. I'm not saying that you shouldn't put out the best product possible or that you should care less about your customers. I'm saying that you shouldn't obsess about making something perfect. Not only is perfection relative, people have different ideas and opinions on what is perfect or not. It is also costly to achieve. Perfection cannot really be achieved, but those who constantly strive for it often fail spectacularly, and here is why. Many talented artists, musicians and writers never publish anything because they believe that their work is not perfect. When they think that work is not perfect, they believe it is not good enough for people to consume, so they don't release it and they don't make any money. Those people who constantly publish content which is considered just good enough will always outperform the perfectionist who publishes little or nothing. Prolific beats perfection. To strive for perfection robs you of a lot of time and or money. Take these emails as an example. I spend a lot of time writing and proofreading these emails. Yes, I do proofread them, but sometimes a type of snow blindness can take over when you're reading what you have spent ages writing, and time is precious to me. If it took me two hours to write and proofread an email that still had one or a couple errors in it, I am happy with that because I can move on to writing a new email or doing something else. If I were to spend the necessary time and effort that was required to make a perfect email, one which pleased an English professor or the small number of people who find a couple of errors irritating, infuriating, I would get less done and make less money. You see, I'd rather get two, three or four just good enough articles and emails out there than one perfect one. Getting twice, triple or more content out in front of people's eyes is far better for business than one perfect piece. This the, the three R's of marketing. The extra content will be seen by more people and it will repeat, remind and reinforce my message. So do you want 20 just good enough articles on a website being seen by a thousand people each or one perfect article being seen by just 1,000 people? For me, number one wins hands down. I want my content being seen by 20,000 people. Most people can overlook one or several errors. They aren't deal breakers. They really aren't. Yes, if the email or article is complete tosh and badly written from start to finish, then you have a problem. But one or several errors are not a big problem. They can always be rectified later. You do need to deliver quality content, that is a given, but quality content can bury a ton of spelling and grammatical errors. I recently read a self-published book written by Michael Killen. Michael makes a lot of money selling marketing funnels to clients. His book showed you how to charge large companies five figures for a simple marketing funnel. The book has a lot of value and content, which if, I, if a reader puts into practice will make a lot of money. But the book is littered with spelling, grammatical and formatting errors. He makes me look like an English professor, which I'm clearly not. Yet that book makes him a lot of money because some of the people who read it purchase other products from him because they have been convinced that he walks the talk. They see past the errors and mistakes and embrace the information. Considering that this is a book that is being sold on Amazon Kindle, I was horrified at the amount of errors in it. I would most certainly not have published it without giving it another few proofreads and have others check it over for me. But I have always said that you need to get stuff out there as fast as you can. And if you wait to publish a book until you have it just right, you may miss out on a lot of money or good life experiences. 
too many people put things off waiting until the time is right or the product is right or that they can afford to do a specific something when they could have done a cheap alternative. Putting things out there which are less than perfect is a better than not having anything out there at all. As I say, you don't want to publish any old rubbish which is little bit there, but if there's one or two, I wouldn't worry. As you know, I can spend up to an hour writing these emails. That's mainly because once I'm on a roll, I struggle to stop. As I write, ideas feed on themselves and I think of other things to add. But that's just me. You do not need to spend that amount of time writing emails. Very often, the emails which make the most money are the simpler ones, which take less than 10 minutes to write. So I'm going to share with you a video showing our techie guy, Andy, that's me, writing an email in just four minutes. He also shows you how the email is added to an email autoresponder, which will send out the email for you on autopilot. So you can watch the video. There will be the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, it's how to write simple email in four minutes, an email which can make you money. So um, check the link in the description. With or without typos, spelling errors or bad grammar, sending simple emails is fantastic and easy way to make money. So go check out the video now. Um, also, the great thing about emails is that they can be written anywhere in the world at any time on multiple devices, including tablets and smartphones, and can be set to go at any time. Cash from chaos, Covidiots and the profit conspiracy. There's a lot of confusion in the world right now regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccines. A lot of that confusion is down to two major factors. One, lack of awareness of how specific things work, and two, unscrupulous and downright dangerous people acting on that lack of awareness. There are a lot of people who make a lot of money by simply sharing harmful and dangerous shit. Right-wing nutjobs like Alex Jones feeds into people's paranoia and fears, and they build businesses off the back of the them-and-us mentality which prevails through most of mankind. Recently, a woman claiming to be a doctor was reported to be making a lot of money by publishing anti-vax videos. These people who have a mistrust of the government and believe that there is a conspiracy going on behind the scenes began to share her videos over social media. Because she claimed to be a doctor, these nutjobs saw her as some kind of hero whistleblower who was outing the genocidal plans of a ruling elite. Her videos were going viral. People were sharing them across all platforms and going to YouTube to watch more of their saviour. Now here's the thing that most of the tinfoil hat wearing brigade have not realised. Most of these people are simply doing it to make money. It's no different to Billy Graham and the other famous American evangelical preachers who packed out stadiums and large venues and amassed a lot of wealth by sharing a message that, if I dare say it, many weak-minded people wanted to hear. In the 1970s and 1980s, people paid out of their own pockets to listen to these preachers. Today, it works slightly differently. Today, thanks to free social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and TikTok, the videos and messages of today's charlatans are shared far and wide for free. Tens of thousands, sometimes millions of people watch these videos on YouTube and they read articles on websites, all of which show advertising. With millions of people reading anti-vaccine articles and watching misinforming videos, adverts are getting millions of impressions. Advertising networks such as Google, Mediavine and many others pay the content creator, website owner, a share of the revenue generated when adverts are shown. We know this to be true because we have done this ourselves with various websites that we own. Our techie guy Andy had a lot of success in the past generating advertising revenue from creating and sharing fun and satirical news articles. With a lot of these articles being satire, they were simply made up. They were fictitious. 
because they were satire and the way they were written you could clearly see that they were not real well most people could some people still shouted fake news in the comments section under the post on facebook to stop people from believing them and that's the problem people do believe any old guff there are people who do purposely share fake and false news which reads like a real report just to make money Justin Kohler being one of them. During the 2016 US elections, Justin started sharing satirical news-style stories on a website he set up mimicking an official news website. His content became so popular that he began to make a lot of money and eventually he set up several sites and drafted in several friends to help him write the articles. All of his websites had a disclaimer on them stating that the content was satirical in nature and not in any way factual. Did anyone pay attention? No, far from it. As more and more people began to believe and share his satirical news stories, Justin and his friends started to push the boundaries and write articles which were ridiculously far-fetched and less funny. Many of them were pretty dark. One such article reported that the CIA or the FBI had burned down a house, killing a person who had supposedly leaked Hillary Clinton's emails. That article had conspiracy and far-right nutjobs sharing it on the socials, stating that they were right and that the CIA or the FBI will kill those who seek the truth, and all of that kind of guff. A lot of Justin's material went viral, sending thousands of people to his website where he made a stack of money from showing adverts. At the peak of the election, Justin's sites were making around $30,000 per month. And that's right, $30,000 per month. Justin became known as the king of fake news. To put it bluntly, Justin and his friends were making bucket loads of cash selling bullshit to anyone gullible enough to believe it, even when his websites clearly stated that it was satire and nothing was true. Does he feel bad for it? He says not. It helped him to buy a house and set his family up for the future. He says that he only published the kind of stuff that certain people wanted to read. He puts the blame squarely on the reader's shoulders. It's their fault for being dumb enough to believe what was written and for not being able to figure out what they were reading was ludicrously far-fetched and not real. After all, it did say on his website in a small box that none of it was real, but they missed that. So you could say that the sheeple shouters didn't do their research after all. The problem is that creating this type of content and publishing it can cause a lot of harm and damage to society. Many families have been torn apart when loved ones have gone too far down the deep state QAnon, anti-vax and other conspiracy rabbit holes. Quite a lot of people have died from COVID because they have chosen to not have the vaccines based on misinformation shared by people who are doing nothing more than sitting at home making money by creating and sharing content which follows a specific narrative. And that is where the problem lies. The majority of the public do not understand or realise that people will share any old crap if it makes them money. Newspapers have been doing it for years. Yet people believe that newspapers are honest organisations set up to share the truth, but they are not. They are media businesses whose main focus is making a profit. I'm not saying that they are corrupt or constantly print untruths, but newspapers do not have any moral or ethical obligation to share information which is correct or right. Legally, yes. Morally or ethically, no. Newspapers make money by selling stories to people which are new. Have you ever wondered where the word news comes from? So they can show them advertising which they have already been paid for. Big companies pay large amounts of money to newspapers that have a large readership to have their adverts placed within their pages. 
To maintain a big readership, these papers will print sensational and often questionable stories. Put it this way, if people stop buying a certain newspaper, it will stop being published. The owners will not bust a gut to find a way to keep it keep publishing it so that they can inform the public of the truth. They are not bothered about the true state of the nation. They are not concerned with fighting for a better world. They are concerned with making money. And that is what most of the human race has failed to understand. And unfortunately, that lack of awareness seems to have worsened with millions of people now blindly following all kinds of chumps online. I personally cannot say whether David Icke is wrong. Maybe the Queen is a shape-shifting, blood-drinking, reptilian, humanoid alien from Draco. But I somehow doubt it. What is interesting, though, is how sure they are of the things they say. These conspiracy theorists believe they are right. Or do they? While they have websites which show adverts around their content, videos on YouTube drenched in Google Ads, although Google is now actively removing adverts from videos which they believe share misinformation, and while they are selling books and merchandise, they will declare that they are right. And why? Because it's good for business. There is a lot of cash to be made from chaos and conspiracy. I'm not saying that you should consider this as a way for you to make money, but it is a profitable one. If you are considering writing and sharing information as a way to make money, I would recommend that you focus on using email and share information which is actually useful to people. Writing emails do not have to take too long and can be done anywhere at any time of the day using a smartphone or tablet. So if you'd like to learn more, go to www.theemailsecret.co.uk and also using emails means that you can make money wherever you are in the world. The world is changing, so is the technology. There is no need today to stay in one location to earn money. You can take your tablet with you wherever you go and make money. So bringing today's podcast to a close, that was five recent articles and emails by John Harrison. Uh, All the links that we've discussed are in the description below. Um, So yes, I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you look out for the next one. Hopefully this will be a weekly occurrence, just basically going to be reading out the articles and emails from John. My name's Andy Lehman and I shall again speak to you again uh, soon.